0: Ethan radio Thank you for joining us me uh, on um, Colony Kids SOS. this is uh, we've been doing this series I think since February where we speak to creatives and innovators and thinkers, artists and so on um, normally from Hong Kong. Um, around their craft, their art practice, um, how it relates to Hong Kong normally, the city, and especially during times of crisis. And today we have with us, um, label and music platform, uh, Eastern Margin, who, I guess I met you guys when you did an interview with me, um, about two months ago, which you can find on your Instagram. Um... So thanks so much. And this is our first sort of on virtual and then that you guys are not actually in Hong Kong. So that's quite special as well. And I think once we start speaking about the content, people will understand why we've um, engaged you guys to do this conversation. Um, But for people who don't know you guys, do you want to start off by introducing yourselves personally and Eastern Margins and how you guys started off?
1: Uh, Yeah. Who wants to go first?
2: And you go first.
1: Okay. I'll go for go it, first. mate. this. Okay. <laughs> uh, hi. <laughs> uh, I'm Anthony. Uh, I'm an architect, but I also do like uh, the creative direction and artwork stuff for Eastern Margins. So uh, with uh, Lumi, we have sort of founded Eastern Margins about three years ago. We were sort of just looking for a, a party to go to on Lunar New Year and um, couldn't find anything that, we thought really sort of suited what we were looking for it was all sort of either big lesser square clubs or going to go to karaoke somewhere so we thought it would be fun to sort of uh run our own club night and it sort of spiraled on from there i'm sure we'll talk about it a bit more um but uh yeah
3: cool yeah i'm stefan
1: um and uh, yeah i grew up in hong kong
3: originally and after I got back to London at a point I managed to loop in with um, Ant and Lumi to get involved in Eastern Margins and I mean yeah I think Ant's been quite humble when he just starts sort of saying you know it starts off with a party but what Eastern Margins is really about now is it's become so much more than that it's become a platform and a label which are both aimed at spotlighting East Asian and Southeast Asian artists, whether they're from, whether they're currently living in those regions or they're part of the wider diaspora. Um, and our basic core concept, whether it's in the EPs that we've been releasing recently, we're up to number three, um, or the parties that we're hosting back last year, they would have been in real life. Now they're more digital. Um, we really just want to be able to give artists who don't always have the opportunity to land gigs or to reach out to a fan base, that possibility?
2: Yeah, and um, so I'm Elaine. So I uh, grew up in Hong Kong, went to school there, um, came to the UK for university, moved to London. Um, So yeah, I've been here for five years now. And so I, out of us three, I'm like the most recent member who joined Eastern Margins earlier this year. But I'd always been aware of it uh, because I went to university with Dave and, uh, well, with Lumi and Stefan. And then I also knew Ant uh, from way back in, like, all of us growing up in Hong Kong as well. Mm. And, yeah, so now I help with our kind of, like, editorial voice. Stefan and I both work on the Tea House series where we interview individuals from creative communities across Asia and its diaspora, um, including you, Chantal. And yeah, just to echo what Stefan was saying, I guess, like when I joined earlier this year, I felt like it was very much kind of like in in the discussions with the rest of Eastern Margins. Yeah, it was very much, you know, moving from events, more of a platform with the label launch, developing a deeper editorial voice. We really wanted to symbolize an evolution of what our community meant to us. Of course, a large part of it is about enjoying music together, um, but now it's really moved beyond to, like, beyond just music to also appreciating like, art, visual culture, virtual worlds, and kind of experimenting with that dialectic.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we start off the conversation a little bit heavy. So considering the world right now, how are you guys feeling? I know you guys just entered, re-entered lockdown. How are you guys coping and dealing with the world?
3: I feel like we should have gone back to Hong Kong. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I see everybody, I see everybody on um, social media in Hong Kong just having a great time, going to parties and whatnot, whereas we've just gone right back into lockdown. And it's personally—I don't know what you guys are finding, but it's, I find it like way more depressing than the first time around. Mm. Uh, hugely because of the weather, we're, we're mm. entering into winter, and it's nice and sunny now. But when it gets dark at about three PM, that's <laughs> a complete bummer. Um, but, you know, there's positive things going on. See what happened in the U.S. See what happened in the U.S. recently. We've got va- um, with Biden. We've got vaccines coming up. I think um, I, th- I kind of like to see this as a bit of. What's the phrase for that?
1: Light at the end the night of the
3: night's The is darkest before the dawn, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: uh-huh. I feel like it's getting really crappy again. But come Christmas, we're going to come 2021.
1: Hit me. We're going to have a really good time <laughs> 2021 is gonna be our year. Yeah. <laughs> not, not
2: 2020. Right. It's 2021. Um. I personally, I I know we touched on this a bit, Chantal, before uh, the recording started, but um, like I personally feel like we've just been kind of depressed for so long and we've had such an onslaught of bad news and very recently with like the US election with COVID vaccines there's been like you know a tiny bit of positive news in the world not necessarily in what I read in Hong Kong like that definitely still breaks my heart um but I am just very like we need to move forward now because like we just can't be sad anymore there's been like we've gone through so much trauma um it's like we have to just, yeah, like return to a sense of normality and and keep going um, and just kind of like close this chapter as well. And I don't know how you're feeling.
1: Yeah, I don't know. In a way, maybe I'm feeling a little bit more positive, <laughs> um, uh, as uh, I've said, I'm a bit of a homebody anyway, so I do quite enjoy just being at home. But in general, I think there's quite a lot of. Uh, it's quite interesting just to see the way that things are changing, you know, in the way that global economies work and the expanding culture of working from home and virtual working. And um, a lot of this uh, digital life that's coming a lot more to life these days is, you know, quite interesting and I think quite promising. And uh, yeah, I think I'm quite hopeful for this sort of era where in a way, like everything sort of relocalized and because you kind of can't go as far, but also it's a lot more global as well, and the things that you can sort of reach out, which I think, you know, it's a pretty interesting time to be in. Mm. So.
2: Mm. Actually, also, <laughs> <laughs> I would also say, because apart from Eastern Margins, um, I work in a climate action NGO, and mm. I would say, like, one positive is that a lot of governments are... Um, Realize, like, not enough, but some are realizing that the pandemic is also a great opportunity to build back, like, a green recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like a little hope that we can hold on to as well.
0: Little hopes, <laughs> 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 little hopes 2021 is all about little hopes. <laughs>
2: in between all this shit. It's got, about those you just got to
1: set the bar fairly low, real low, <laughs> <laughs> low bar, really
3: real
0: shit. low,
1: God, real
2: low.
0: okay. Um, you guys have, to me, you guys have quite a specific sound. How would you, I mean, would you agree with that? And how would you describe it? And do you guys all agree on what Eastern, the type of music and sound that Eastern margins represents and, you know, aligns with? Um, how would you describe it, I guess? Ant, you <laughs> I, I,
1: guess I guess for me, I, I actually find a lot of the work that we do to be quite, varied in terms of genres not that there isn't you know something in common about all of them but I think our interests in music are pretty varied and quite broad um, but I guess in a way we're sort of tending to focus more on the experimental music side um, a lot of what's going on in uh, East and Southeast Asian club scenes as well um, for example I guess you know uh, looking back at our label releases um, Ildroponya's was a bit of an eclectic mix of it was singing, rapping, screaming, sort of like shoegaze style, um, whereas QQ Baby Girl's a bit more sort of deconstructed club, jagged textures with the vocals going all over it. Um, and in a similar vein, that was uh, Sumu Sumo and Lanes's collaboration as well. A bit more club. And I guess the thing that sort of um, I guess the thing that's sort of uh, in common about all of them is that they're just sort of artists that are trying to find the sort of the new sound of where they're at and trying to explore and bring their own roots, but also be informed by just contemporary club music as well. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's sort of what what we're after, trying to sort of find what's going on in these underground scenes and platform them in a way.
2: Would you all agree? Oh, yes. Well, I was just going to add. Um, go on, Stefan. <laughs> no,
3: no, you, you started easy you go.
2: No, I was just going to quickly add. Um, I also think what's really cool about, like, the different artists that we platform is that most of them, if not maybe all of them, have, like, a really strong visual aesthetic as well. Mm. Like, we really think they have such good style. Um, just, yeah, design. And that's like a huge part of their identity along with their sound. Um so yeah, that's that's something we really respect as well, because mm-hmm. design is obviously so core to Eastern Margins too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 uh, percent I was just gonna echo what everyone is saying. I really think you know it's what's really we all come from quite difficult ba- um a different musical backgrounds with interests in you know rock, jazz, pop, techno, straight club music. Um and we're just completely open to whatever our collaborators and artists are into at the moment and uh, it it's really goes back to our sort of core mission of giving us giving a platform to people whose music doesn't necessarily get shared all that widely or doesn't have that much traction at the moment
0: and have you heard stuff and you're just like you just unanimously agree and you're like that's not eastern margins we <laughs> don't name anybody but like so what kind of like, yeah,
2: does that happen? Personally, I think the more divisive the music is, the more Eastern margins it is. I don't know if you guys would agree.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's really right. I think especially, you know, when we used to uh, our, our previous parties, we um, would often have kind of themes. Like, for example, when we had the Absurd tracks guys come in, they kind of dominated the um, lineup. But that didn't necessarily mean that we would say, okay, our warm-up DJs, our ending closing DJs, or our performances in between had to align completely. If we can like keep our keep the um, audience and the fans on their toes, that kind of like made for a more interesting atmosphere, I think.
0: Um, you guys mentioned before, or Ant mentioned before, um, sort of the sounds that um, like these individual artists are really trying to create their own sound and the more experimental, um, the more like interesting, but do, is there a particular kind of sound that comes from different places? Like, would you say that in Thailand, there's kind of something you can recognize or in Hong Kong, there's something that you could recognize? Is there a locality to sound or to, or to visuality and design that you find is, uh, specific?
1: Yeah. Um, think about that. Uh, I
2: go on. Wait, go I'll just say late. this first, first, and then you go next. <laughs> um, personally, what I've noticed is that a lot of our artists—I don't know about regionality in sound per se—but I would say a lot of our artists, what I think is really interesting, um, to their, I guess, like character, is that they usually juxtapose what are very like on the surface opposing sounds so for example or or like opposing styles so like Kiku baby girl we've spoken to her about how she loves japanese idol culture it's all very cutesy kawaii but rather than the kind of like you know going with their music her music is like extremely deep club heavy bass and she really likes to kind of put that Um, juxtaposition together Mm. and then equally say like Anam from Vietnam they like their music is all based around using traditional like heritage woodwind um, like old Vietnamese instruments but then putting electronic modern contemporary sounds over it Um, and that's yeah like that's what we think is really like that's definitely what I've noticed is really interesting it's just I feel like the artists we platform are very like they just have a different perspective and they think it's really cool to kind of explore yeah. that.
1: I think I think there's probably quite a lot of, I guess, cross-pollination uh, across the region, which is quite interesting. You have a lot of people, for example, Gabra Modus Operandi, um, you know, that works with sort of experimental um, Javanese rave sounds, mm-hmm. released their stuff on, what, Subcult, I think, which is based in Shanghai. And I think, you know, there's a sort of, regional scene as well um that sort of ties everybody together uh, as sort of this network of artists um so i think there is a a sort of sense of cohesion in general um i would say
0: Um, that's definitely
1: what i found as well you just kind of it's
3: i thought i actually thought like to tell the your the way your question went I also expected that, you know, oh, the Chinese sound sounds like this, the Korean sound sounds like this, but I've actually really found that when we talk to our contacts, you know, at Subcol, or which was Genome 6 MVP, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we know those guys in Vietnam. We know our name. Oh, yeah, like we've, yeah. we've hung out with mm-hmm. up around the last time we did a festival in um, Europe, you know, and like it actually seems that this kind of yearning for something different, something that's just different from straightforward 4-4 techno and your dance and your, and your club seats, they're more deconstructed. Because I, th- I think what it p- might be as well is that because the actual core audiences in some of these countries, especially if you go to Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, I mean, I go to some of these clubs, there just aren't that many people who are into this. Mm. But the ones that are, are really into it. <laughs> and I think because of that, they kind of the artists almost have a necessity have to appeal to that those same communities across Asia and across the world as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I guess in a way, I, the sort of musical style isn't established enough for it to have you know such distinct labels like you know Chicago mm-hmm. house or Detroit techno. It, it's still sort of really brewing at a quite a regional level still, which I, I think is really really interesting. Um, yeah.
2: That's yeah, cool. I totally agree. Oh, sorry. I was yeah. just going to say, um, I totally agree with Stefan's point. Like, there's literally not enough appreciation in their local communities often. So we feel that, like, yeah, like, that's why they're just so happy to be connected to other artists who are into the same thing because it definitely, um, yeah, it's just not as established um, as a community a lot of the time locally for them. Um, I just...
0: I think I, I skipped something in the beginning. So you you kind of mentioned that you knew each other. Um, I was talking about the the founding and the conception of, of you guys and how you guys all came together, actually. I find that really um, like a nice um, sort of intimate familial story. Um, you guys knew each other in Hong Kong, and then you you went to school together, actually, or some of you went to school with Lumi um and then you just started to like also want to help out or how did like how do you actually guys know each other and is it um a kind of ongoing collective or yeah and how do you work together like do do you guys play different parts and so on
1: uh yeah i guess we, we all sort of play our different roles i mean i guess in terms of our you know uh historical background say you know Stefan and I went to primary school together um and then (laughs) yeah and uh you know then we and then I I moved to the UK when I was 13 and um you know some of us uh I think Elaine and Stefan went to uni with uh Lumi Mm -hmm. and uh, everybody else we sort of just got in touch through through our events really Mm um I mean there's quite a few of us you know there's it's me, Stefan, Elaine, Lumi, uh, Jax, JDX, and Aria. Um, but I guess Eastern Martin is also more, it's like a broader family as well. It's like a community of artists that we work with and even just people that have been attending our live shows and live streams um, from day one. Um, yeah, mm. I guess, I know. oh, yeah, what do we each do? Do you want to explain that?
2: <laughs> well, well, um, I would say. Definitely- go on, easy. <laughs> No, so I was just going to say, like, I definitely think everyone does a bit of everything. Um, but, Stefan, do you want to go into more detail about specific roles? or
0: <laughs> no, I find it really hard to define. If you guys don't, if we, if you guys, we don't have to go there either. It's the- No,
3: I mean, I, I was just going to say, I think that everyone does a bit of everything. But the main role, the highlight is that the creative genius and the aesthetics all come from Ant. Here. Uh, for
2: our, sure. Instagram,
3: okay. our Instagram page and our content would be a very different place if it wasn't for Ant's um, artistic talent and maybe a lot of that deep-rooted in his kind of architectural training as well.
1: Yeah, um, completely.
3: The, and for me and Easy's point of view, we're really keen on the... Uh, the storytelling aspect we really see ourselves as trying to push forward the narratives of the artists that we work with i think because we come from a bit more of a removed aspect of the music we don't necessarily dj or produce like some of the other members do we actually sometimes see a gap in when lumi or um jex can get both get both so excited about an artist that they've heard of and it's incredibly niche that they found in some hole in soundcloud they'd be like Obviously, you guys all know this arts, this is sick. And these going to go, well, oh, hold on a second. If we're going to start promoting them, we need to like build a bridge here. We need to accept that a lot of our like fans, our community, have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> we need to, you know, what is Japanese rave culture? What is the underground scene in Shanghai? There are stories there to be unpacked and told mm. to really give ultimate impact, I think.
2: Yeah, and just to add on to that, that's like a conversation we've been having recently as well around like, We realized the importance in, you know, elaborating on the narrative of the community as well, because otherwise we didn't want Eastern Margins to almost become like, you know, just become so insular. It was just like, Mm. like we, there was a point where we decided, okay, no, it's not just for our community. We do want to like, we're creating a space for our community, but we don't want to not communicate with the outside world at all. We do want to, you know, help promote them as well. Um, and so that's kind of why that storytelling element became more important to us. But just to quickly um, introduce the other members, too. So Lumi, he's, um, of course, DJ, producer, co-founder with Ant. He leads on a lot of the label stuff, which is um, awesome. We, we, I feel like we see him as like our uncle because <laughs> he's a bit older than us we Ruby were a bit Bradford's like vision <laughs> <laughs> um jack she's music like dj as well um she does a lot of like our hosting and social media stuff too as like a kind of personality um oh god i feel like i'm, I'm doing a really bad job with describing people do you guys yeah, want to do patrick <laughs> <It's good. laughs> patrick he's also a dj he does like he him and Lumi do our garden spotify playlists every week like the eastern margins garden um they play loads of our sets um and aria is our most recent member he recently joined because he's been helping us so much with the like the virtual ceremony shows like all the digital shows we've been doing and he's really like technically amazing as well um, and has been part of the eastern margins community coming to our events for ages too I don't know if ever, anyone else has any other
3: <laughs> I was just going to say that AYA, AYA coming in recently is a really good example of how the Eastern Martins community is not just our team, our core team, but it is everybody that we work with and we collaborate with. Um, or people who just came to our events regularly. And someone like Arya someone who just came every two months to one of our parties. He always loved it. When we started doing the digital stuff, we reached out just on Instagram, like, yo, who can help with this sort of thing? <laughs> who knows how to do streaming with these software? How to do a Twitch stream? Arya hit us up, was like, yo, I'd like to help out. And yeah, now he's real part of the core crew and he's completely been such a lifesaver mm. in the work that we've been doing um, with that, especially with the PR work on our latest release.
2: Yeah, Stefan and I were laughing because um, I think Aria asked, like, Lumi was like, oh, Aria said he would would like to join. How do we all feel about this? And we were like, what do you mean, how do we feel about this? Like, I can't believe he's asking. We definitely need him to join. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> why not
1: ask <Austin> him first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Like,
2: why has <laughs> no one contacted him before? But, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, you guys started off as this platform, and you're creating content, and Um, and then you got, you have now released three EPs. How has, uh, Eastern margins evolved beyond, I guess, your initial expectations? Um, and I guess, how has it evolved as a, uh, as a collective? Like, um, now you take on more responsibility. You guys have like artists under your belt. Like, how do you, yeah, like. I guess, beyond philosophical, operationally as well, you, you guys have taken a lot more than you, you did before. Um, has it also changed the fabric or um, evolved the fabric of, of Eastern Margins and the way that you work and the content that you produce?
1: Yeah, well, we're now absolutely obsessed with our Google Drive. <laughs> so it's all about, it. live. It's all it's about, about the spreadsheets. <laughs> Assets
3: contained in one place. I mean, what, what I'd say is I think Eastern margins has just been growing so fast. Mm-hmm. I think at, at each point of our of where we are, we just kind of think, "Wow, we've achieved this level. This is great." You know, we're going to the, even doing the second or third party. We're like, "Wow, this is you know, we've, we're doing regular parties and people are coming. This is great." Then we then we think, "How can we be a bit more ambitious?" And then the next year, we threw a sound clash where. We basically got four big music groups in the underground scene in um, London to do like a battle against each other. And we had like 500 people in the event. we're like, wow, our limit's just gone up here again. Then Mm -hmm. the coronavirus hits and we think, oh crap, what are we going to do? Well, that's the same time our label started coming out. Mm -hmm. And when we started exploring the idea of virtual events, our um, Eastern Margin ceremonies. Um, So I think the main point is operationally, we're still figuring it out. We, we don't necessarily have a huge framework um, to know exactly what we're doing at any given stage because we're always trying to be innovative and try something new. and we're never just selling for the status quo.
1: Yeah, I think I think we, we try. We, we've been operating a bit reactionally to just the way things have been happening, which is you know not really a bad thing, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, just because we when we were sort of starting out, we were still sort of establishing what we were really setting out to do. I think at first uh, we didn't really envision a big platform or anything. We just thought it was more of a club night. And then, sort of, as it sort of grows, you realize then you sort of had this responsibility to be careful who you platform and so on. And um, and it sort of just continued to grow from that. I think a lot of the stuff that we output comes from just our own personal creative outputs and things that we want to do in our own free time as well. Um, And that's sort of obviously steadily grown and evolved as more people have joined as well. So yeah, it's a really interesting
2: process to be a part of. I think um, as well for me, one thing that I found that's been really cool, especially with the label stuff and just generally putting more thought into our editorial voice is that uh, and it's the conversation we've had with the team too is that yeah we're so lucky we have the political independence from maybe other labels or like we can you know all of us uh, um Easter margins isn't our full-time work like we all have other jobs to support ourselves um but that means that you know we can take a, more of a stand than maybe other um platforms that yeah just don't have that freedom. And so things with like Black Lives Matter or um, uh, that Jax is actually, like Jax, uh, who's in Eastern Margin too, she does a lot of writing and that's been really good to kind of put our stance on things. Um, And with the artists we work with, you know, we've changed our mind about some artists that we realized don't adhere to our values Mm -hmm. or... Some of the artists we've signed, we've worked with them to be like, you know, some of these photos are appropriating black culture, or you sampled a song that is really like, you know, is by artists that we really don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's been interesting because, yeah, we've like the label side for sure has made me realize that actually we play like a mediary role as well to help translate our Mm -hmm. artists into the wider diaspora or the wider community too.
0: That leads me to, um, I mean, I have two questions. Maybe I'll start with, you You kind of use the word translation. I think that you probably mean in a different way here to translating content to diaspora, but how do you deal with ling- linguistic barriers? With so many, we're dealing with such a widespread region.
1: Um, well, at, at our last meeting, we were actually just discussing some of our um, label releases and we were talking about um, uh uh, first release with us, and um, we were talking about how it had been performing on this music platform in China. Um, I can't exactly remember which one it was, but I think we were talking about how one of the comments was despite the fact that he couldn't understand what Tigon was saying, he could really feel what he meant, and he, he really understood the music and he got it, which is really quite amazing feedback to get, mm-hmm. considering you know, I think Tiger's speaking in. Uh, Japanese, as well as well as a uh, invented language of his, so you know, I, I think there's a lot of um, power for music to go beyond uh, just linguistic barriers, uh, especially when we're in this sort of realm where music's a lot more textural, and both of its uh, production and vocals. It, it sort of breaks down these barriers, which is really interesting.
3: I think that's exactly right, and I mean, I just you know, taking Tigan's, um, taking El um EP as an example, we actually put quite a lot of effort into working with him on the translations, mm. typing them up so that, you know, where things were metaphorical uh, that came directly out of Japanese, we would put change that into something that made more sense in English. And I think actually that might have all been to some degree unnecessary. Um, I, I mean, it was definitely a really good way for us to understand better what um, Tigin was working on. But so much of this music really is, able to connect with people around the world despite the language that it's in especially when at its core it's evocative in a physical sense that it's trying to invite you to dance or it's trying to invite to stir up emotions in your body so unless the lyrics aren't the most important bit and my only regret is that I imagine if you did understand the lyrics in so much of the music we listen to it would be more impactful but that's not to say that it's not hugely impactful nonetheless and I think one of the really important things that we're trying to get across is that you shouldn't Limited to just listening to music in the, your own language. You know, there's so much beautiful music out there. We as a collective don't understand Korean, don't understand Japanese, you know, but yet yeah, we love the music that these guys are producing. And if we want to do a bit more research on what, their, um, what how their lyrics translate, sometimes we do, sometimes it's not necessary.
2: Mm, completely agree with this. The only thing I'd add is that, however, in our tea houses, the linguistic barriers yeah, has been something that we'd need to put more thought into. And like the earlier interviews we did, we tried to do in English and we just realized that we weren't representing or like, you know, like accurately representing um, our speaker stories enough. And so that's when we've really made a point to like do the interviews in native languages. So like when we spoke to... Um, the club owners of oil and Simpson that was all in Mandarin. Um, and, and I think that whole series on Simpson was in Mandarin, but of course that means there are limitations when like none of us really speak Vietnamese, for example, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's really important for us to represent those stories in their own words. Um,
0: you, uh, Elaine mentioned, um, that you guys write content. You and Stefan, uh, focus a lot on the content. Um, and then I think in your, some of your interviews before you use the word creating discourse around, oh, and the, the um, what's it, uh, Javanese rave? Like you try to ex- in, in some way, um, create understanding or like use words to textually <laughs> explain what, what that is. Um, how How else, I mean, how do you create this, nurture this discourse and do you find it makes, how have you seen it make an impact or how are people responding to and increasing knowledge around this um, this field?
3: I think we have a long way to go. Um, I would say like sort of the work that we're doing, we, use, we have a monthly show at NTS Radio in London and we use that as a way of kind of highlighting um, new types of music, new um, areas and genres that we're working with. For example, when we gave the Shenzhen guys um, a slot, or when we were, we were like reached out to a nam to put some music in or in like Indonesia, those were all really important to us because ultimately we want the people who follow us, whether they're just on Instagram or they're closer with us and part of our community that we see regularly, we want them to be as familiar with the artists that we found, with the artists that we're working with and the music scenes that they represent as we are. Mm. And I mean, at least personally, I'd quite like to continue on the work that we were doing, showing the Shenzhen music scene, looking at oil. I thought actually clubs can be, have so much of an important foundation for music scenes and what cultural aspects in their respective regions or cities, that that'd be something that we could be working on more to highlight. to the extent that when you've got like just a normal and like sort of typical dance culture where you've got certain clubs like I don't know, Berghain in Berlin or Fabric in London which are like kind of seen as meccas of the dance world I'd like it if some of these clubs that are actually putting out a more varied um, list of DJs, more eclectic type of music, if they were also kind of seen as wow, I'd really like to visit that club I'd like to see what's going on there you know To
1: know
2: what you guys think. Well, I am, yeah. What I found like very interesting about the way I feel like our discourse with our community has changed from physical events. Because I think before with physical events, it's like you know everyone comes in person, experiences it in person. That's so visceral. um, That's how we feel. We're facilitating engagement with our community. Since we've gone digital and everything's, you know, been more online, etc., I feel like I've been impressed anyway with how Eastern Margins has been more creative with how, um, like with the focus on interaction with our audience. So like Safan recently made a super cool filter, um, like a Snapchat kind of Instagram filter um, that people can use, which was tied to the release of Sumu Sumu and Lanes. Um, their latest EP in all their like visual style. Um, We have like two projects we're talking about at the moment. One, we're kind of waiting for to see if we get funding for from the British Council, pick us. But Mm -hmm. it's all about this like online, um, online community center for the Vietnamese diaspora uh, Mm -hmm. where we connect Vietnamese artists locally with like Vietnamese artists in the UK. Um, and it's all about them collaborating and, uh, creating these like online virtual rooms where we want our audience to engage with us too. Literally just in our meeting yesterday, we talked about doing this, um, open source project, uh, with Shanghai community radio, where we're discussing like how we basically just create an open source piece of music that like artists can add visuals and, um, our own music edits too as well so i feel like we're getting more creative anyway with like really interacting with our audience whereas before it was like okay we'll put an event people will come that's maybe enough
3: yeah i guess it's just opening it up a sort of one-way education from us kind of trying to tell people things to actually getting that kind of two-way stream and kind of
1: building something together and collaborating
2: what are you going to say Anne?
1: I was gonna say I think yeah more recently as well uh, with all the restrictions we, we've found in a way we're more free to work with people regardless of geography um, you know on this on this um, EP release with uh, Sumusumu and Lanes sumu sumu is based in Japan and Lanes is based in the US and we're working with um, visual artist Tabitha Swanson who's based in Berlin and you know the ability to sort of have this discourse just amongst ourselves as well across geographies is i think really quite influential
0: um that leads me to my next question so um you guys said i said like three years ago and i feel like you there you picked up a lot of momentum and obviously the the events is a really um uh effective way of bringing communities together and also Um, connecting the people you listen to, to audiences. Um, What kind of networks have you formed that are really surprising? Like, I don't know if there are music festivals around the world that have sort of reached out. Um, And then also, um, what kind of audiences have you nurtured? And is is that surprising? Like, is it still diaspora primarily that, or mainly that come and listen uh, or... um, could sneak out your content or are there sort of really surprising audiences that, yeah, are there? So your audiences and what that looks like and who they are.
1: I guess it, it is pretty varied. I think that's one of the things about London. I mean, I think it's usually pretty diaspora or so heavy. Um, at our club nights, but you know, I would say it's still a pretty diverse club night. You've got um, pretty much any anybody coming through, and I think that's in a way because we try and not. Obviously, we are a South and uh, Southeast and <laughs> East Asian club night, but we don't try and you know uh, fence ourselves off. Um, I think people sort of see the value that this is just experimental music in a way as well, um, which brings a lot of diversity to our club nights, um, which is nice. You don't really want to pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself as a club night for just Asians.
2: <laughs> yeah, one thing that I thought was interesting going to Eastern Margin Nights was that actually there's like, of course, there's a high proportion of Asians maybe than in other club nights, but definitely loads of white people as well. Um, and also like quite a lot of like fetish, like bondage style mm. people like, it's um it's interesting it's like interesting yeah yeah definitely cosplay um and i think i guess for example um like yule she's like an anime like anime inspired music producer um and i think yeah some of the artists that we platform do like it's about i guess being alternative on on any fringes whether like regardless of like race or ethnicity as well
3: I think I think that is really a, core, a really important part of what we stand for. I mean, Eastern margins, we talk about the margins because we're talking about the mm-hmm. margins of music being a bit on the fringe, being a bit different, but also in terms of personalities, in terms of interests. Um, yeah, like the cyberpunk theme is, can be, is often quite big along, among the people who come to our events with you know the most incredible hair, the most incredible outfits, to the extent you've got like sort of horns and stuff being glued on faces. It's all wow. aesthetically really, really cool. And I, I think, I mean, this is where at least where I think it comes from, is that we're looking to create a really safe and inclusive space. Mm-hmm. Um, we have zero tolerance on any sort of harassment on our nights, especially, I mean, given the nature of it as an East, um, Asian night, we're also very conscious about the possibility of fetishization.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But we really work so hard to make sure that our safe space policy is clear, that it's enforced. And that means that the people who come to our events can dress up the way they really want to. They can kind of put themselves out there, they can be inspired by artists as well who have really unique. Um, visuals and really unique aesthetics because they don't, they don't need to feel like they're going to get judged or laughed at or harassed or anything.
2: Chantal, can you tell that Stefan is a lawyer? This is our <laughs> policy. This is our... <laughs>
0: that I think, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, What, I'm trying to think what question, we, we have a few questions less, left. Um, if any, what has been the effect of Hong Kong on, or Hong Kong's? I just, you guys are all from Hong Kong, so I don't know if that really, um, matters <laughs> on Eastern margins. Wait, what uh, was the question? Is, how, does, does Hong Kong specifically, how, does that have an effect on Eastern
2: margins? Um... I think definitely, like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, for sure, as in, I see my like identity rooted in Hong Kong as a large part of why I wanted to join Eastern Margins. Um, and even with our, like, like in terms of our Tea House series, normally they're just like one interview here, one interview there. We did a whole three-part series in Hong Kong just because we knew that, like, you know, yeah, it was just a really important topic for most of us. Um, so yeah, I would say it's like hugely influential.
3: Yeah, definitely yeah. for me as well, in terms of just being homesick, wanting to reconnect, that also drove me to want to explore Eastern margins and to see what sort of music we're up there. And I really love it when we can actually connect with music, the music scene that's going on in Hong Kong, you know, when we work with Alex Malism or the other guys in Absurd Tracks, when we got to go to 20 Alpha last, um, last year, do sets on um, Hong Kong Community Radio, you know, it's really nice to kind of have, to be yeah. ha- part of, you know, ex- going back and exploring what's going on in Hong Kong, what keeps it cool, what artists are doing and also trying to help spread what they're doing further aboard.
0: That leads me to the next question. How do you understand being a, being a colony kid or Colony Kids, which is the name of the show, um, especially as somebody who's both has a foot in Hong Kong and um, in, in London and I guess with what's going on in Hong Kong right now, I imagine sometimes that is even tougher for people who have left Hong Kong because it feels—I mean, it's equally helpless now. But I guess when the movement was happening, there was a sense of helplessness as well. So, anyways, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but um, <laughs> to be yeah. What do you think of the word "colony kid" and what does that mean to you?
1: I, um. <laughs> I, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I guess so. I moved to the UK when I was thirteen. So you know, I've been here more than half my life. I think what's kind of interesting is when you grow up in Hong Kong, or at least back then. You know, I remember the handover and stuff. And you always sort of thought, oh, you know, I've got my BNO or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. the British national. You you think that links are stronger than they actually are. But then when you're actually over here, you realize that it's just so like desperate. Mm-hmm. Like these links, they're so weak and vague in a way. I thought it was. I mean. I guess it's not really exactly what you're asking, but I, I thought there was a lot of irony in the situation with, uh, you know, the UK Home Office um, criticizing Hong Kong police for brutality while at the same time inviting Hong Kong and a bunch of other ex-colonies to a big trade expo for like policing weapons and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think you know the relationship with Hong Kong being a colony and its own I- identity. It's all. I mean, I think the city's still probably really figuring it out in a way. It's only been 20 years.
2: Mm. Stefan, do you want to go next?
3: (laughs) Yeah, for me, I think it kind of speaks to a sort of... It's kind of like people coming out of Hong Kong, Who, whether I see them in Hong Kong or whether I see them in London or in America or in Europe... I kind of immediately have a connection with them, even if they, you know, like, and kind of moved over when they were 13, or they kind of spent their entire lives going up to Hong Kong, or whether they returned or not after going studying abroad. I think we all have a lot in common. Um, there's the sense of an international aspect where you're just so comfortable with people from all different sorts of cultures. Um, at the same time, there's a sort of sense of confusion I feel yeah. that there so many people I know who've kind of come out of Hong Kong, you know, while they're there, they don't necessarily feel like they're fully Cantonese or they've, you know, they've been Western is so much part of their identity that suddenly when they go abroad, they think, oh crap, I'm actually not as Western as I thought I was. <laughs> and <laughs> crap, I want to go back and try to get a bit more of that, get a bit <laughs> of more born by culture. And um, I think that can sometimes be a difficult mm. tightrope to walk, kind of where where you actually from what is your root culture? But at the same time, it's a really exciting opportunity. It's a really unique part of what makes us Hong Kong kids. Um, And I think it's something to celebrate as well, where possible.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Especially with the kind of like, I don't know, being pulled in different directions. Because I have realized as well, in thinking about my Hong Kong identity, that there's, yeah, there can be a difference between how you feel and how people see you. And that identity is all relative. So in England, I feel like I'm really representing Hong Kong. When people ask me about what's going on there, I feel like I need to be really up to date. Like, like, you know, I'm aware that my English friends are asking me because they think I'm like, you know, more just like a member of that Hong Kong community. Whereas then when I'm in Hong Kong, because you know, all of us went to international school, like my Cantonese isn't good, etc. I then feel like I feel at home in Hong Kong, but then I feel a little bit more removed from what's going on because I'm aware that with the recent protests, everything like that, it's like, I can't say that it's my personal fight. My life isn't going to be like so negatively affected by what's happening. Um, and so it's funny that like in England I feel like I'm I'm almost closer to the cause whereas in Hong Kong it's yeah I'm clearly not not the one like carrying the baton um so yeah I feel like the colony kid phrase is very like captures all those kind of contradictions um
0: how would you define this is the question we ask everybody how would you define this generation <laughs>
2: we question. actually discussed this like do you mean do you mean as an r generation or this generation of music or
1: <laughs> oh, are we part of the generation yeah <laughs> which no, generation. Uh,
2: generation so personally uh, i can go first <laughs> i would say this generation and i guess i'm defining that as like just what we're kind of witnessing unfold is really defined to me by rage and creativity. So like, I feel like we're in the angriest phase that I can remember, you know, everyone's angry at how badly the previous generations have handled things and what's going on and, you know, the inequality and everything. But then I also feel like we're in a creative renaissance, where people are so beyond labels, like that's not important anymore, especially in Hong Kong. The one thing that's kind of keeping me going is it feels like, there's such a creative emergence from all the trauma that we've experienced. So I think that rage and creativity is gonna, yeah, just be like a really exciting time going forward. What about you guys?
3: Yeah, for me, I think I define it by the interconnectivity of everybody in this generation. I mean, it's so easy to just say just with the internet, Um, people can connect like they never have before. But I think that is just so important. You can get ideas, you can get news from all over the world and you can start working in the way that we started to with people who have similar interests, with people who have um, similar aesthetics and vibes and music taste. And so as a result, you're kind of, this generation more than anything else has a chance to be almost hyper global. And weirdly, I think actually the, the coronavirus and all the lockdowns have kind of just cemented that. Hmm. It's shown that you don't actually need to be able to fly somewhere to be able to connect with people or to um, engage with your family and friends. That can all just be done so easily from wherever you are. And it's really
1: up to what people can make of it. So I guess this generation doesn't really want to be defined. They want to be sort of authentic for themselves and to be able to do what they feel is you know, authentic for them. Um, and to be able to sort of really try and connect with one another, I, you know. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, personally, I'm a non-answer, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I was going to agree with you. I'm really vibing with Gen Z's kind of like beyond labeling. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should all channel that energy.
1: (laughs) It's sort of like, I'm just me and I'm going to do whatever I want. Not in a selfish way, but you know, like I'm not going to restrict who I sort of am. And I'm, you know, going to express that.
3: And yeah, I like I, love that. I think that's so important and you can see that just everywhere on social media, TikTok example as an example, just people just keep coming out with so much content. And it's just people are being creative, challenging themselves to like what do they want to put out to the world and that's really cool.
2: And it's like screw your establishment and tradition and years of like how you did things before that just doesn't matter anymore.
0: Final question. What's next for Eastern Margins? What should we watch out for?
1: Uh more more unexpected things to come.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, we kind of touched on some of these projects that we're working on. Um, with like the Vietnamese like diaspora artist collaboration, um, and also this collab with shanghai community radio so that's exciting We definitely want to grow the label further i know lumi's working really hard on that side um do you guys have anything else oh and physical events hopefully
1: yeah
2: uh, yeah
3: that's what i was gonna say i'm, I'm saying watch the space i'm really hoping that 2021 we'll be able to get back <laughs> to some semblance of what you're doing before with the physical yeah. party in real life connection really building that community giving really unique and fun experiences and just cool parties yeah. but um but in the meantime we're going to keep putting out content we're going to keep trying to see what we can do online pushing those boundaries of what's possible in digital space
1: Uh, yeah i I think in a way when we sort of are able to return to the physical realm i think it's important for us to take what we've sort of learned from these last few months the sort of hyper local but hyper global approach to being able to work with people uh, to explore really specific things and narratives and sounds. Um, to sort of not forget just because we're now able to explore London that we should restrict ourselves to just our local geography, I guess, in a way.
3: Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. I think, you know, this lockdown and the COVID has been hard, but there are definitely silver linings and things we should be yeah. learning. And I mean, mm. if nothing else, I want to make sure that we take that attitude of being able to collaborate wherever with people wherever they're based, where whoever we want to kind of keep that going forward.
2: Yeah. And one thing on the physical event is we had we were um, we had bombing tiger event plan that we've had to like postpone and postpone mm. really hope that happens in 2021 which will be our year Woo. <laughs> cool. Thanks
0: so much guys. Um, any final thoughts you wanted to make sure everybody hears before you know we part ways digitally tonight
2: Just that we're really big fans of Eton as well. And we're so happy that, um, yeah, that you chose to speak to us. And and we can't wait to visit you guys in in person as well when we're next back in Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah.
1: Hopefully soon, yeah.
2: Hopefully soon. I'm sure sure your parents are also can't wait to have you guys back.
0: (laughs)
3: Just, have to, I just love, love what you guys are putting out in Hong Kong. The space that you've created. Just, I mean, just looking online, the sort of shows that you have, the interviews that you have, really creating a sense of culture that um, I wish we had known when we were growing up.
0: Thank you. Yeah, totally. I'm sure when, when, when there's some semblance to of of normalcy, um, we'll do something together.
1: Yeah, okay.
3: for sure.
0: Yeah, it'll be a welcome back party, and then. You know, you guys do the programming and we bring, you know, some of your artists into town.
2: Yeah. Deal. Deal. Love it. We're going to take that as
0: an official booking. So (laughs) (laughs) it's locked and it's on, like, it's on, it's on, it's good. We're going to put this on YouTube. It's
1: It's, it's, it's already on the Google Drive. So it's official.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is a signed contract. (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. Great.